Previously, we saw demand peak and, and dip depending on um, whether an organisation had budget for some nice-to-haves, but sustainability is now no longer a nice-to-have. I think it's seen as more core to an organisation's you know, risk management or understanding of, of the future. Kia ora, hello everyone. I'm Sarah Minhinnick, GM of Capital Markets Origination here at The Exchange, and I'm delighted to be here today with a longtime friend of mine, Lucy Drummond, who is the GM Sustainability at Mercury. Welcome, Lucy. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. Great to see you. So we've got a really interesting discussion to have today, given what you do at one of New Zealand's biggest and most well-known energy companies. Perhaps let's start with a little bit of a scene-setting discussion about your experience and background. You are the GM of sustainability at Mercury. What does sustainability mean to you as a general concept? It's a big question to kick off with. Sustainability is one of those terms which is so broad it can sometimes end up meaning anything to anyone. For me, I'm probably one of the people that, that does think about it in its broadest sense. It means doing all the things that you need to do to exist for the long term. But just honing in on that a little bit more, I think for me, it's ensuring that you're building all of the things that you are taking into account when you think about how you need to exist for the long term. So just exploring maybe some of the things that you might normally have thought about and how you can think really holistically about how you exist for the long term. And then one of the other things when I'm, you know, kind of analysing what sustainability means is that sometimes sustainability is a relatively benign or unambitious concept because if you're going to just keep going and existing for the long term, then maybe the status quo is enough. And personally, the status quo isn't enough. So there's an element of being better to me. Mm, it's interesting to hear how you think about that because obviously it's your day in, day out with your role. And when you are in your role at Mercury, what does that sustainability concept actually entail in terms of everyday work? So sustainability as a team within Mercury actually does a really broad range of things which some people might not necessarily associate with sustainability as it's defined in the kind of corporate sustainability sense. So across our team, yes, we help deliver three core outcomes for Mercury. One of the first things that we do is we help the organisation look ahead to the future, see what's going on and sense and respond. So we facilitate strategy organisation-wide. And just to be clear, that is organisation strategy, not just sustainability strategy, which some people immediately think that that term sustainability narrows it down. And then within that kind of organisation-wide strategy work, one of the kind of subject matter expert areas that we do bring is helping the organisation understand the climate element of that. Mm. And then other things that the team does is help look at what is our reputation, what's our social impact, and also how we're participating in evolving the sectors that we participate in, in energy, telecommunications, how we part of those conversations around, you know, the future evolution of those sectors. So that's, yeah, what sustainability team does at Mercury? Yeah, it sounds like a really diverse role that's really integrated into the company and, and everything you do, which is awesome to hear. And I mean, I'm dating us a little bit here. We're, we're 80s babies. We, we did grow up together. And, and I think, you know, the world was really different when we were kids. You know, I think things that I remember from my childhood are things like the milk was still delivered when we were kids and glass bottles, you know, it wasn't in plastic bottles, there was significantly less overseas travel. People sort of generally weren't popping off, 
here and there for for multiple trips a year. I think a lot lot more people walked to school back in those days. I mean, thinking back to those times, did you think that you would be in a role like this when you were a child? Yeah, I'm laughing about how much you're dating us. I'm kind of thinking myself, is it relatively? <laughs> I'll buy you a coffee after this. <laughs> God, that's a long time back. Did I think about myself in a role like this? Uh, no, but yes. Um, <laughs> I kind of I still think that I might be something different when I grow up. You know, I just I wanted to be a furniture designer. I love design, love kind of thinking about things creatively, love singing, love cooking. But then at the same time, I think part of me always really liked science. One of the things that I really remember from I think being around seven was doing a project at school on the water cycle. Mm. And I still remember that, figuring out that, you know, something's actually all connected. And the way that we, you know, have water in our houses and where it goes and where it comes from, that kind of really struck something in me. And I think that I've really enjoyed things related to science and understanding that connection with the world around us. So maybe that part is something which has been with me since I was younger Mm. that long long time ago yeah that's interesting I think most of us have a range of interests that you can choose to pursue one avenue or another and and life sort of shifts you in certain directions do you think that you had any kind of light bulb moment in terms of having a career centered around sustainability I go when I was 17 years old so I didn't finish my last year of high school I had many different interests and I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do so I went out working and saved up and went overseas. And while I was traveling by myself when I was 17, I was in lots of different situations, meeting lots of different people. And one of the conversations that I ended up feeling really passionate about were the ones around the environment. And I think those were the types of conversations which helped me then decide um, that's probably an area that I wanted to go into and helped me kind of decide that I wanted to do a degree in science, environmental science, and I had the genius idea of also doing a law degree. And I actually ended up enjoying uh, understanding that way of thinking and the law degree much more than I had anticipated as well. So throughout your career, how have you seen the demand for sustainability grow, both in organisations and in people? I think Previously, we saw demand peak and and dip depending on um, whether an organisation had budget for some nice-to-haves, but sustainability is now no longer a nice-to-have. I think it's seen as more core to an organisation's risk management or understanding of, of the future. I also wonder whether we all now see it in our day-to-day. There's this thing in human behaviour where if we think that the impact is further away, we're less likely to do something. And I don't know about the conversations you have in, with your friends, but more and more to me, we seem to be having conversations where all of us are thinking that the systems that we rely on are a bit different to how we remembered them to being. You know, summer wasn't, you know, the summer we all thought we were going to have. We're getting storms that are quite different. So I sense that we have a greater appreciation of how immediate the, the impact is, and that might be driving a greater understanding of the need to change. Uh, so, you know, it might it might very well be um, my confirmation bias, but it appears to me that this immediacy of the impact is driving a greater sense 
of the immediacy of change. Another one of the key growth trends that underpins this is the growing role of the finance sector. Uh, I've seen organisations being incredibly driven to incorporate this understanding through questions that they receive, either from their equity investment through different uh, index questions that they receive or more and more through questions that they're receiving from their banks. It's definitely now here to stay. I don't see it kind of, you know, going through a peak and trough like we've seen previously. And I think, you know, as we as we see the impacts more and more, it'll continue to grow in importance for organisations. Mm, I agree with you. I think from the exchange side, we're definitely seeing people add more firepower in terms of their sustainability personnel to their organisations. We've also seen a consistent uptick in the demand for green bonds on our DX. So if you wind the clock back even four years, the percentage of the bonds on the debt exchange that was designated as green or ESG in some regard, whether they were sustainability or, or wellbeing bonds, uh, that was about 23% four years ago and now it's just ticked over 30% and mm. it just continues to go up and up. And I, I agree with you. I think we'll see more of that. I think we'll see more demand for it and just more focus on it as we go forward. Mm. How do you think that we as a country and as people are performing and responding to meeting both our domestic and international climate-related targets? I think New Zealand's in an incredibly strong position in some areas where you look at the, the international landscape and um, other countries have got some incredibly hard um, challenges that they need to navigate, which uh, New Zealand is in a much more fortunate starting position. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, the, the energy sector being one of those, the fact that we're 87% um, renewable, um, is a huge platform that we have a massive opportunity to capitalise on. And and then on the flip side, uh, it's not easy to find technology to navigate agricultural emissions. Mm -hmm. So New Zealand in some ways is in a really fortunate position in terms of meeting their obligations. I think you know, the, the stark reality is that I'm not sure there's any huge countries that are on a good trajectory in terms of reducing their emissions. Mm. Uh, I understand that at the COP28 meetings this year, there's going to be a bit of a global stock take to see how, you know, we're tracking globally against Paris commitments. And I'm not expecting that to be a good, you know, we're on track type conversation. So, the reality is I think every country needs to look at doing more and New Zealand's no exception to that. I think though that we've actually got some opportunities in front of us and some capacity to do more and um, show up to that challenge in a way that actually means that New Zealand's a more prosperous country because of it. Mm, that's interesting. So it's sort of digging into that. Where do you see the main areas for growth and improvement? The key areas for improvement, I think, are greater investment in technology. Mm -hmm. New Zealand is a hotbed of innovation and we have a real opportunity to kind of light more of a fire and enable more innovation. We've got great examples of setting ourselves up for enabling more innovation. One of the examples that comes to mind is the fact that we enabled a regulatory framework to have electric aviation 
tested in New Zealand. Mm. There is so much space here for innovation to provide core answers that if we can think about the ways that we can enable that in all elements of this challenge, that would be a huge area of improvement. I think another area of improvement is actually financing. Mm -hmm. The Sustainable Finance Forum had a fantastic roadmap However, really looking at how unlocking access to finance could be a massive lever to accelerate decarbonisation is, is an urgent action, which could also be a huge opportunity for New Zealand. And the last one is adaptation. We haven't really had a serious conversation as a country yet on what adaptation means. And probably the cynical part of me would say pre-election that was probably an an unpalatable conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're kind of, you know, the, we've had the weekend and it's a conversation we all need to start getting into in quite a mature way because we need to both figure out how we can reduce the impacts that we're having but also respond really well to the changes that are already happening in New Zealand. Yeah, there's a there's certainly a lot of things I think that are, are in flux and, and hopefully will start happening as we sort of move into 2024. Speaking specifically to Mercury, can you talk a little bit about Mercury's influence in New Zealand and the role that it plays within our communities and within the ecosystem? Mercury is an organisation that has been around in one form or another for quite a long time. It's got a long history in New Zealand. I think that spans back. Some of our assets were built uh, close to 100 years ago. Mm. And we want to act in a way that ensures that we're going to be here for at least 100 years more. So we have a long history with New Zealand and we're really mindful of that in the way that we show up in the communities that we operate in. Um, Some of the other elements of our ecosystem, we're one of the largest employers. And so thinking about our culture and the things that are integral to our people and caring for our people Mm -hmm. is quite a big element of our ecosystem. Our shareholding is one of the largest retail shareholdings of listed entities. So we think really carefully about our owners, why our owners um, invest in us and how we can actually respond to that and act in a way which is taking care of the organisation for them. And we're one of New Zealand's largest retailers and telecommunications providers. So we are connecting a really significant amount of New Zealanders to keeping the lights on, keeping them connected. So I, I think our impact on New Zealand is not insignificant and that word ecosystem is a really interesting way of thinking about that system that we operate in. So when, when we think about sustainability, it's a really core way to how we think about those connections that we're making and we're conscious about how we rely on all of those different elements and on how we impact them mm. and that kind of consciousness is part of what we then consider in terms of where we want to be in the the medium term and where we want to be in the long term. Mm. And and what are some of the longer term goals of the organisation? I guess some of the longer term goals relate back to those different key communities that we that we have. We want to ensure that uh, we take care of our physical assets and actually the natural resources mm-hmm. that we rely on that are integral to our business. We want to ensure we're taking care of them in a way which means that they're actually thriving and more prosperous for future generations. Mm-hmm. We want to ensure that our customers trust us and that 
we have some innovative products that are actually helping their lives and are providing value to them. We want to be the partner of choice. So we're really, really clear that uh, we're not best placed to do everything. And some of the things that we want to achieve in the future is relying on working with others. We have really deep relationships with iwi and key suppliers. So working in a collaborative way is core to our success in mm-hmm. the future. And we want to ensure that we're also building a culture and setting our people up for success. Uh, I think one of the things that you hear so often these days is that you know the future is becoming uh, more variable and changeable. And we're really, really mindful about what that means in terms of ensuring that our people are developing the skills that will make them successful in the future. Well, Mercury sounds like an organisation that thinks really deeply about that and it's it's great that they've got you leading that department. We're going to move to the quickfire round here. So what's one sustainable-led product you can't live without? When I uh, think about that word sustainable-led, I personally think about what are the big, biggest impacts that I have mm-hmm. uh, and I think my biggest impacts are the food that I consume and the journeys mm. that I take. The journeys that I take, obviously electrification is part of that, Mm -hmm. electrifying my journeys. But the other one is actually um, those really hard decisions we all have to make, like getting out of your car. One thing which helps me get out of my car is actually using my AirPods. So not a sustainable product in itself, but helping making the behaviour change to reduce my vehicle kilometres, get me out of my car, walk to work once a week. So, yeah. Yeah, that's cool though. (laughs) Yeah, I I can relate to that. I definitely do more cardio when I'm listening to things. (laughs) Um, What's your favourite book or podcast? One of the books, I think, which relates back to your earlier question about the light bulb moments is this book called Maya, and it's by a person called Justine Garda, and I read the back of it, and it says it's about creation, evolution, and the purpose of human existence. So I think it was quite an impressionable book. I think I read it when I was around about 17. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that one out. Your favourite quote? My partner has a quote um, from his dad that um, hangs on the wall and it says the only failure is to give up trying and I think that is you know resonating personally at home when we're, when we're talking to our kids at the moment but also resonates at the moment as well from a professional point of view. And last but not least what's the best piece of advice you've received? Recently I was in a discussion and we were talking about affecting change and how that can be exhausting and someone talked about the concept of thinking about affecting change through grace poise and ease well I think that's a beautiful note to end on and and I do think that you are doing that in the role that you're in I do think that you are affecting change with grace and so it's great to be able to have these conversations with you and, and to continue these conversations because they are ongoing conversations between our two businesses and I look forward to more discussion in the future thanks Lucy thanks so much for having me The information provided in this podcast is a guide and is intended for general information purposes only. The information is not investment advice. The information should not be relied upon as a substitute for detailed advice from a professional advisor. The podcast may contain opinions or forward-looking statements and actual results may vary from what is expressed in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of NZX. 
NZX Limited is not liable for any loss suffered through relying on the information in this podcast. NZX makes no warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information in this podcast. All intellectual property rights in the content of this podcast are owned or used under license by NZX and NZX's written consent is required to use, redistribute or reproduce the content or use it to create other works.